0: as we have it preached and also we pray for your blessing over uh, the profession of faith and also the celebration of the Lord's Supper in this service we pray these things in Christ's name Amen I'd like to ask you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles and we're going to read together from the Gospel according to Matthew Uh, we're going to read together from Matthew 5 verse 17 to 26 we've been going through rather slowly uh, hopefully we'll pick up pace a little bit, but we've been going through the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave uh, pretty much at the beginning of His, his ministry uh, in, in Canaan. And uh, today we'll be focusing on verse 21 to 26. But let's read together from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 26. Our Lord Jesus Christ says the following, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And now comes the passage I'd like us to focus on, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell, to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accused hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'd be put in prison. But truly I say to you, you would never get out until you paid the last penny. It's this section here from verse 21 to 26 in particular I'd like to focus on uh, as we, I preach that now. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, is it, is it okay to clean your fish in a campus kitchen, in a camp or a caravan park? That's a question I was faced with last week, Saturday, along with my extended family. Uh, we were staying at a family camp uh, just outside of Busselton. I went out with my, my son-in-law and my little granddaughter to catch a few fish, and we, we came back with a nice feed of whiting. But there wasn't a dedicated fish cleaning facility there. So the question is, where could we clean them? Would it be okay to clean them in the camp kitchen, or would that be breaking the rules? You see, cleaning fish can be a rather messy uh, sort of a, uh, operation. And in some places, many places, actually, there's rules about where you can or cannot clean your fish. Nobody wants scales and blood and guts all over the place. And what made the question even more pertinent here was the fact that this particular camp that we were staying at, which remains un, uh, unnamed, uh, this particular camp, lovely though it is, has rules and regulations pretty much on every wall, uh, in, uh, on, on every tree almost. You, you can do this, you must do this, you may not do this, you have to clean up here, you're not allowed to touch this, you're not allowed to move that. And everywhere you went, there were these rules everywhere. But in the campus kitchen there was no sign telling us that we were not allowed to clean fish so my reaction was yes that means we can go in there and do whatever we want or should we now i'm not saying this to give some sort of a thing about whether or not we should be cleaning kitchen a campus kitchen but rather to To explain and use this as an illustration to say that most of us have a bit of a a love-hate relationship when it comes to rules we love them because the more rules we have the easier it is to know what you can or you cannot do but we hate them because it is said well well, the law is an ass and too many rules make no sense Uh, they restrict us too much They are more frustrating than anything else. And so very often we'll look for loopholes to get out of doing what the law says or we'll look for the line. We'll look for the line so that we stay just within the law but for the rest just doing whatever we please. But when it comes to God's law, what should our relationship be to that? And is that how we should be seeing it? You see, when it comes to God's law, this is not what God had in mind. The Pharisees had this in mind. For all these 613 different laws, and for all the regulations about how far you could walk on a Sabbath day, and whether or not an act of compassion, such as healing uh, a lame man, or, uh, or pulling your, 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 your cow out of a out of a ditch on a sabbath day whether or not that was breaking the law for all of these sorts of conclusions and discussions as they were looking for for that line they were also searching for the loophole that enabled them to be outwardly righteous but inwardly they would end up doing whatever they wanted and however they pleased but now the question is what about us and what is our relationship with god's law Are we perhaps tempted to do the same? How do we see God's law? And what does it mean for us to keep it? Now, we do not like the sound of legalism. And when we sense that there are other Christians, even church leaders, when they want to box us in, when they want to stipulate what you can or what you cannot do, we get very defensive and we object to those who would limit the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But then what should we do? what should we think about god's law and what should we think about how we seek to keep it well in the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 5 through to 7 this is really what our lord jesus christ is dealing with and our lord jesus christ gives an answer to these questions and he teaches us to see the law differently to see it through the lens of the gospel and this is what our lord jesus christ meant when he said in chapter 5 verse 17 he said do not think that i've come to abolish the law of the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And verse 20: For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what Jesus is saying is that he hasn't come to abolish the law, he's come to fulfill them. And then he also is teaching us here that we in fact are called to a righteousness that is greater, that exceeds that of the righteousness preached by the scribes and the Pharisees, those who had those 613 laws and those who were incredibly legalistic about what you could or could not do. And now in chapter five, the rest of chapter five, beginning verse 21 to the end of the chapter, the Lord teaches us what this means in practice. And actually as you go through the rest of chapter 5 you'll see that that six times in a row our Lord Jesus Christ uh, says something such as you've heard what was said of old but I say to you this and that and indeed that's also what we have in a passage this morning uh, verse 21 22 you've heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. But what does our Lord Jesus Christ mean when he says, you've heard that it was said of old, but I say this to you. What the Lord Jesus is not doing is that he is not clearly is clearly not rejecting the old testament law the law you shall not murder sixth commandment is still clearly in place and in fact even what the lord jesus christ said further that whoever is angry with this brother will be liable to judgment this was not in a sense a totally new idea as if this had never been taught or said before in fact the bible the old testament already taught exactly the same thing Uh, let me uh, quote to you from leviticus chapter 19 leviticus 19 verse 17 and 18 it says you shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord and so the command not to hate but rather to love your neighbor and the command to gently confront them and to reason with them, frankly, it is an Old Testament command. But what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here is he's calling you to view the law and specifically hear the law, you shall not murder. He's calling you to view this not in a legal sense, but instead to view it in a gospel sense. Let me say it again. What Christ is calling you to do here is to view the law of God, not so much in a legal sense, but to view it in a gospel sense. Now, viewing the law in a legal sense, it means that you focus on the externals with the idea that so long as you obey the letter of the law, everything is good. But viewing the law in a gospel sense means that the Lord teaches us the direction in which we must go and the direction to which we must turn as children of God. Now, some of us struggle with this because for as long as indeed there are these very clearly marked out rules and regulations and I need to do this and this and this and this and then all is well, we feel safe. But a gospel sense doesn't mark it out so clearly a gospel sense instead calls us indeed to turn to christ and to seek him and to love the lord our god with all our heart with all our soul with all our mind and with all our strength and to love our neighbor as ourself and then when we seek to do that it's not as though every single rule and regulation for a life is spelled out in its entirety and yet As we consider this and as we really work through this, we also learn through this that it does not then call us to a a weaker sense of holiness and godliness or a drifting away from God and from his people, but in fact it calls us to a greater sense of holiness. And this is also then why our Lord Jesus Christ says our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And our Lord Jesus Christ and His interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees teaches us this, and also the consequences of what their legalistic way of interpreting the law led them to. Matthew twenty-three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law: justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And so what our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us is that indeed to have that gospel focus on the law means also then that we're going to have the right attitude and the right understanding of what it means to turn to Christ and to turn to God and to seek to live for him in every way. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us now in this passage when it comes to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Now, first, the Lord Jesus demonstrated that the sixth commandment is not obeyed if you simply do not physically kill somebody, but rather murder begins in the heart. And therefore, God is concerned about everything which is stemming from the heart. And therefore, he says, to be angry with your brother, to insult your brother, The lord jesus christ uses a an aramaic word so a different word from a different language here when he used the word raka which means you worthless thing or to call uh, your brother a fool these things are sin jesus says against the commandment the sixth commandment you shall not murder and since these things also are sin the consequence of the sin is ultimately the same unless you're forgiven for these sins, you will be judged for these things. And so Jesus says, you'll be liable to judgment, liable to the council, liable to the hell of fire. Now in this context, Jesus is not distinguishing between the particular things he mentions and the particular way in which you're going to be judged for them. But he's warning us that all unrighteous anger and both words and actions against others will result in being judged both now and now and in eternity. And so in his rejection against legalism and in his call to view God's law through the lens of the gospel the Lord Jesus he does not minimize the law nor does our freedom in a gospel-filled life result in a less holy existence but to the contrary it helps us to see our sin for what it really is and it drives us to even greater holiness as we seek to live for God. And that makes things very serious that points the finger back to ourselves because if that is the standard of the kingdom then who can stand the righteousness that Christ demands of us a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees will not only mean that we don't physically murder somebody that we won't physically, simply physically murder those we hate but it means that we will not hate at all rage and ungodly anger including insulting those or calling them fools and so forth, that this is something which we will not be seeking to do. Because this is not simply sin against a person, but it is a sin against God himself. And that is so important that our Lord Jesus, he went on and added two examples of what to do when you realize that all is not well between you and somebody else. First of all, chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. It says this: So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, this has to do with worship. In this example, someone's gone to the temple. He wants to make a sacrifice. He's standing there in the temple courts. Uh, he's about to make the sacrifice. He examines his heart. Uh, he does that self-examination that we speak of also with respect to the lord's supper he knows that there's something he needs to do and he hasn't done it there's no fence between himself and a brother his brother feels wronged there's something that he knows he needs to be doing something about it he turns around he leaves the temple he seeks to be reconciled to his brother and then he returns to the sacrifice now what jesus is teaching us is this We cannot keep our pretenses in our worship when we know that we have caused offense to our brother. Because God knows and he will judge. And therefore, we ought to do what we can to live in true harmony with our neighbor. And in particular, with our brother and our sister in church. That's also what we need to do before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Our form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, it rightly warns us to examine ourselves with a warning that all those who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to them should abstain from the table of the Lord. Our form also says that while they persist in the sins, they shall not take of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. Now, now do not misunderstand this however we all experience conflict and most of us will be able to point to at least one unresolved conflict in our lives in that context the Apostle Paul he adds an important qualifier in Romans chapter 12 verse 18 he says if possible as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all if possible As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And so the question here is, where is your heart in all of this? First of all, there is the question, the the broader question. Also, with respect to these matters and these matters of conflict, is your heart turned away from Christ or is your heart turned to him and do you seek to honor him and to love him and your neighbor? But then there's also the question of, well, what about the specifics of this situation? What was your contribution to the conflict, and how have you responded? Remember that murder comes from the heart, but love comes from God. Are you then living out of the evil of your heart, also with respect to this matter, or are you seeking to live out of the gospel and extend the grace of the gospel to others, even those who have been bitter and hateful towards you? And so indeed, Rome chapter 12 gives us a very, very important qualifier, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. But let's not reach for that that, that qualifier, that escape clause too quickly, saying that it was the other person's fault, therefore it's their problem, not yours, and and the conflict remains. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on with another example. In Matthew 5, verse 25 and 26, where it says this, And come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand him over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you would never get out until you paid the last penny. Now the first time you read this, you must say, what's this got to do with the command you shall not murder? But in the particular context in which it is given here in Matthew chapter 5, what it means is that you must do what you can to make amends with your brother and sister and to do it quickly. Because if you don't make amends, things tend to go from bad to worse. And if it is you who are is at fault, do even more to reach out and do what you can to make for peace. And this is the point that Jesus is saying here and do it immediately. Now, in that sense, what our Lord Jesus Christ is effectively teaching us in this little saying here is much the same as what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27, where, it, where the Bible says, Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. And Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled and so that in turn makes us think back to our relationship with god that makes us think about how we can be and how we are reconciled to him because whatever offense might be that someone has caused against you the offense that you have caused god has been so much greater but it was when we were still sinners that christ died for us it was when we were his enemies that god reconciled himself reconciled us to himself and although we had turned our backs on him christ never turned his back on us And although we were guilty of sin, Christ came to take that guilt upon himself. And it is in Jesus Christ that we are therefore reconciled to God. And it is in Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled to one another. But now how will you live with your fellow brother and sister now that you have been reconciled to God? And how will we deal with others, perhaps especially when you have a conflict with them murder begins in the heart but love comes from god a heart built filled with anger and a heart bent on revenge is a heart that is void of the gospel and a heart that is not in step with the holy spirit and that's why such a heart will be judged but a heart that is reconciled to god And a heart that does flow from the love of God will be a heart that longs for peace. And there we have not just the full meaning of the law, you shall not murder, but there we also have the full intent of God's law. And so let us not read God's law in a legal sense, in an attempt to whittle it down to its bare minimum, And let's not also try to heap up all sorts of man-made rules and regulations around God's law with the teaching, do this and you will live. But rather, let us see God's law in a gospel sense. Understand what it means to obey his law from a heart that is made clean in the blood of Christ and understand what it means to obey his law from a heart that is filled with the spirit of Christ and then live from the love that comes from God. Amen. Well, let's uh, respond to that and we'll sing together from Psalm 66, Psalm 66, verse 7 and 8. We we'll now proceed to the uh, public profession of faith of Dave and Marianne Law and that we might welcome Dave and and Jonah into our congregation I'd like to ask Dave and Marianne if you can please rise and if have family if you can come join us here at the front here. <clears throat> Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ we thank our Lord God for the grace given us by adopting us to be his children and receiving us into his covenant And we acknowledge his love and power by which he instills in his children the desire publicly to profess the faith in him in the presence of his Holy Church, so they may receive admission to the Holy Supper. And since you have now come here to make this profession before God in his Holy Church and hereby receive admission to the Holy Supper, we ask you to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you wholeheartedly believe the doctrine of the Word of God, summarised in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church? And do you promise by the grace of God steadfastly to continue in this doctrine in life and death, rejecting all heresies and errors, conflicting with God's word. And second, do you acknowledge God's covenant promises, which have been signified and sealed to you in your baptism. And do you truly detest and humble yourself before God because of your sins and seek your life outside of yourself in Jesus Christ. And third, do you declare that you love the Lord God and as your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world and to crucify your old nature. And fourth, do you firmly resolve to commit your whole life to the Lord's service? as a living member of his church and you promise to submit willingly to the admonition and discipline of the church if it should happen and may God graciously prevent it that you become delinquent either in doctrine or in conduct what is your answer brother Dave Law and sister mary law after you've suffered for a little while the God of all graces called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. Let us praise God together. We'll sing together then a praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's stand and sing that together. Please be seated. Well, let's pray to the Lord. Almighty Heavenly God and Father, we are so thankful to you for the blessings which you have given to Dave and Marianne and to Jonah, and yes, indeed, to us all, Uh, for the blessings that we may receive also as a church here in Melville, that we may also receive them into our our congregation uh, formally now. Thank you, Lord, for the the, the many months in which they have uh, been with us, and we have grown to know and to love one another. And uh, we've grown also to uh, uh, rejoice in, in being one in the gospel together also. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And Father, we are so thankful also that today we can uh, witness uh, their uh, joining us publicly in this way and also that we may enjoy the celebration of the Lord's Supper together. And Father in heaven, we thank you for this. And indeed, Heavenly Father, may we all as a congregation Uh, even as we grow up into our head that is in Christ, that we may grow together and be joined and knit to one another, and that we may love, support, and and encourage one another also. And may we also take to heart that which we heard today, that we may indeed live in true brotherly love and harmony with one another, and that we may also understand your your, your law in a gospel sense, not in a legalistic sort of a way, but in a way in which it drives us and calls us more and more to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might, and to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. And that we will not neglect the weightier matters of the Lord, justice and mercy and righteousness, but that we will seek to live in this way also amongst one another. And so, Lord, we also pray that now as we look forward to the celebration of Lord's Supper, this also will be for the strengthening of our faith and also of our community together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we are about to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together, let's read together the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. In your book of praise, you can find this on page 603. Page 603. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In order that we may now celebrate this Holy Supper of the Lord, to our comfort, we must first rightly examine ourselves and further, we must use it as Christ intended it, namely to his remembrance. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness so that he detesting himself may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but he has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. And second, let everyone search his heart whether he also believes the sure promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. And third, let everyone examine his conscience whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life and laying aside all enmity, hatred and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And therefore, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins to abstain from the table of the Lord. And we declare to them they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone or who serve him in their own manner. All who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way. All who do not diligently attend the worship services and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments. All who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them. All who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him all who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure all who by stealing greed or extravagance lead a worldly life all liars backbiters, and slanderers briefly all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life while they persist in their sins they shall not take of this food which christ has ordained only for his believers otherwise their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to the supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ, and in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have a perfect faith and we do not serve god with such zeal as he requires daily we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh and yet by the grace of the holy spirit we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against the unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of god and therefore we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains us against our will can prevent us from being received by god in grace and from being made worthy partakers of the heavenly food and drink. Remembrance of Christ. Let us now consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted this supper, namely, that we should use it in remembrance of Him. We are to remember Him in the following manner. First of all, let us fully trust that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into this world, according to the promises made from the beginning to the fathers in the Old Testament, and that He assumed our flesh and blood. From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled the righteousness of God's law. We remember in particular that the weight of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood, falling on the ground in the garden of Gethsemane. And there he was bound that he might free us from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might nevermore be put to shame. Though innocent, he was condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He even let his blessed body be nailed to the cross, that he might cancel the bond which stood against us because of our sins. By all this, he has taken our curse upon himself, that he might fill us with his blessing. On the cross, he humbled himself in body and soul to the very deepest shame and the anguish of hell. And then he called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? that we might be accepted by God and never more be forsaken by him. And finally, by his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the New and the Eternal Testament, the covenant of grace, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his last Passover, instituted the Holy Supper. He gave the bread and the cup to his disciples in remembrance of him. He taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness toward us it is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us otherwise we would have suffered eternal death he nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life as certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and we drink in remembrance of him And from this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground for our salvation. And thereby he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. And by this spirit, who dwells in Christ as the head, And in us as his members, we have true communion with him. We share in all his riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. And by the same Spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. For the Apostle Paul says, Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And as one bread is baked out of many grains, and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, So we all incorporated in Christ by faith are together one body. For the sake of Christ who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another and show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. And finally, Christ has commanded us to celebrate the Holy Supper until he comes. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy, which is promised. We look forward to the marriage feast of the lamb, when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. May the Almighty, Heavenly God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen.